0: We're reading verse 6 to 8 of 2 Timothy chapter 4. For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I've fought the good fight, I've finished the course, I've kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. This is Paul, towards the end of his life, reflecting as he's approaching his near demise. And this for us is a time of reflection too. I'm not expecting us to be approaching our near demise. Maybe that's closer for some than others. But, But it's a time of reflection. It's a time of thinking about... Our lives and, and the last year and, and what we've achieved and where we're going. And this is what's in Paul's heart here. He's reflecting on his life. He's reflecting on where he's been, what he's done, what he's achieved. And it's his last letter. This is the last letter that Paul wrote. It's a second letter to Timothy, but the last letter he wrote. And he's summing up his life because he knows his end is coming. And so he's in a reflective mood. And in his writings, Paul frequently mixes his metaphors, and this is what he does here. It's one of the wonderful ways he expresses himself in dense images that are all clubbed together. And the verses contain four metaphors that all run run into each other. There is the metaphor of sacrifice. There's the metaphor of a wrestling match. There's the metaphor of a running race. And there's the metaphor of the law courts. And we're going to look at each of those metaphors in turn this morning. And he starts by saying, I'm already being poured out like a drink offering or a libation. And for the sense of this, we have to turn back to Exodus Exodus in chapter 29. So if you want to if you've got a Bible there and you want to come with me to Exodus, feel free. If you don't, just sit and listen. Exodus 29 verse 38. Now this is what you shall offer on the altar two one-year-old lambs each day continuously. The one lamb you shall offer in the morning and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. And there shall be one-tenth of an ephah of fine flour mixed with one-fourth of a hin of beaten oil and one-fourth of a hin of wine for a drink offering with one lamb. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight and you shall offer with it the same grain offering and the same drink offering as in the morning for a soothing aroma an offering by fire to the Lord." It shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the doorway of the tent of meeting before the Lord where I will meet with you to speak with you there and I will meet with you there meet there with the sons of Israel and it shall be consecrated by my glory. And I will consecrate the tent of meeting and and the altar, and I will also consecrate Aaron and his sons to minister as priests to me. And I will dwell among the sons of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord, their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord, their God. The context of the pouring out of the libation of the drink offering was daily. And it was a reaffirmation of that covenant connection with God. It was a renewal of fellowship. It was a renewal of that connection. And every day the priest would take the lamb and he would sacrifice the lamb and he would take some grain and he would put that on the altar and he would take the wine and he would pour it out. And all of this was reconnecting. The people with God and and affirming, yes, we're the people of God. Yes, God is with us. Yes, the promises are still true. And yes, the, the Lord is still good. It was an affirmation and it was a promise of all that God had done and was continuing to do. And it was done at the tabernacle and later at the temple each day, morning and evening. And it was there to represent this continuous act of worship of the people towards God. And it was also to keep that meeting place consecrated, a fit place for fellowship with God. It meant ongoing consecration. That means ongoing commitment to the purposes of God. Every time that wine was poured out, the people, the priest was effectively saying, yes, we are still committed to your purposes. Yes, we're still committed to worshipping you. It was a reaffirmation of the covenant promises and of the covenant that had been made between God and the people of Israel. Wine was also associated with entrance into the land of promise. What was it that was first brought back by the spies when they were sent out into the land? A big bunch of grapes, so big that two of them had to carry it. And it was the affirmation of the promise of coming into their inheritance. And wine expressed that. And so the wine being poured out was also an affirmation of the blessing, of coming into the freedom that God has, of coming into the fullness of inheritance. And so as it was poured out, it was a reminder of the freedom, of the rest, the Sabbath rest that God was bringing the people into. And Paul likens his own life to such a libation. He says that his life is being poured out like a drink offering. In in Philippians 2.17, he uses the same metaphor to indicate that his life was being poured out in service in order to ensure the faith of the churches. And so he sees his activities of teaching, encouraging, evangelizing, and all else that he did as that which will help guarantee the fellowship of the churches he has established with God. Just as the priest poured it out, so Paul's life is being poured out to assure and affirm that the people will stay in that place of fellowship and connection with God. He is like the drink offering, he's saying. He is being poured out in all his ministry to ensure that people stay connected and stay in the covenant and stay in fellowship with God. His life of service is also a celebration of the freedom that comes from the gospel. And our Sabbath rest is that freedom, which should result in our rejoicing through the teaching of Paul. And these churches like us had entered into the Sabbath rest of God's people through the gospel. And as the wine was poured out before the Lord, so Paul is seeing his upcoming death as his final offering to the Lord. And he's not saying this in a morbid manner, but rather he's affirming that his life's work is near completion and will be acceptable to the Lord. And this is a challenge to us all here. Paul identifies that he's not living for himself, but rather that he's pouring out his life in service for God. As the wine was poured out, so his life is being poured out, totally given over, totally surrendered, totally offered up for God and for the people of God. We'll come back to this in a moment when we talk about rewards. But there is a sense here, certainly for Paul, that pouring ourselves out as a sacrifice of worship for God is the only thing that really counts in life. I'll say that again. Pouring ourselves out as an offering of worship to the Lord in service is the only thing that really counts in life. That does not mean everybody needs to be in full-time service. Because we're all in full-time service, whether we're paid for it or not. But that, what we do in life should have as its focus bringing worship to God. And we can do that in our secular work, in our leisure time, and in everything else we do. And the focus is ultimately the worship and the glory of God. And that's what Paul is saying. His life is being poured out for that purpose. And our lives too need to be poured out for the purpose of bringing glory and worship to the Lord. The next metaphor Paul uses is the good fight. I fought the good fight. And this is a reference to wrestling. Wrestling was a popular sport in the Greco-Roman world. It's not like WWF today. don't imagine these great hulks in in their whatever they were. Please don't imagine them. <laughs> Rather, it was, it was a true contest of bodily strength between two men, each determined to better his opponent by getting him to the ground. And it was probably more akin to sumo wrestling than what we imagined for WWF. Carolyn and I know, know a little bit about sumo wrestling. Believe it or not, we used to be avid fans when it was on television. We used to watch it every week. <laughs> We knew all the rituals, we knew all the fighters, Chiona, Fuji, Kokonishki, we knew them all. <laughs> <admit> <laughs> this is confession time. <laughs> we loved it. Two great hulks pushing with all their might against one another to get one out of the doyo. It was great. <laughs> and Paul tells us here, that his life and ministry has been like that kind of wrestling match. Of course, in Ephesians 5, he likens our wrestling match to spiritual warfare, but that's not necessarily what he's envisaging here. Rather, he's considering the many battles he's fought, the obstacles he's overcome in order to get to this point in his life. And he affirms that he has fought this fight, and the implication is that he has overcome Sometimes life is like a battle. Most of us have things daily that we need to overcome just to get through the day. Some days are better than others. But there are the days at the end of it, uh, sometimes when at the end of the day, we're just grateful to have gotten through. It's important to remember that at such times, God is with us all the way. We've sung about that. We've affirmed it this morning. God is never not there. He is faithful. He's in control. But sometimes there's still a battle to go through. But it's good to remind ourselves that He's with us. He doesn't leave us on our own. He's not unmindful of what we go through, He's there alongside us. Sometimes we forget to draw on His strength and think we're on our own. And it's important to know that He is with us and to call out to Him in those difficult times. And he will never leave us nor forsake us. So Paul has fought the good fight and has overcome. Next he says he's finished the race. Now the metaphor switches from a wrestling match to a running race. And again this is a metaphor we see elsewhere in scripture. In 1 Corinthians 9.24 Paul says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. And the writers of the Hebrews says in Hebrews twelve one to 2, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And in both of those images, the one from um, uh, uh, Corinthians 9 and the one from Hebrews 12, you've got this idea of pushing forward, setting your eyes on Jesus, not stopping, not flagging, just keep going for it. I remember at school, the first time I ran a 400-meter race, I'd not run one before. So I went off like a hare at full pace, as if I was doing a 100. And it was great, I was way out in he- ahead, until I hit 300 meters. And then the body starts seizing up, and I'm trying to get down the last 100 meters. Managed to come in third. But it was not the right way to run a race. I hadn't planned it properly, because I'd not run one before. Our Christian life is not a sprint. It's an endurance race. And I've known many in life who have gone off like a greyhound, but are quickly tired and fallen away from the faith. Endurance running means taking it steady, and ensuring we have enough energy to sustain us through the race. It's not just a matter of starting well, but of finishing well. And we're called to endure the whole race and to finish well, Just as well as we started. And so that's about taking time to plan, to train, to practice. Not to take on too much, but to ensure that we have enough to get through. In the Hebrew scripture, the writer tells us that the secret of running well is keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. He's our example. He is our focus. If we keep our eyes on Jesus, it will help us to keep running as we should. If we allow us to be distracted, we will drift, go off course, or just drop out of the race altogether. Keep your eyes firmly fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher or perfecter of our faith. He endured all things in order to make, help us make it through the race. And that's what brings him joy. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame. Why? For you and me that we might endure, that we might take hold of that race and endure and win. If you become distracted by other things, if Jesus is no longer your focus, if you've grown tired or weary in the race, let me encourage you today to refocus. Confess to God your shortcomings. Get back in the race. As you do so, God will give you the energy to keep going for another lap. Paul sums up these first three metaphors with this statement. I have kept the faith. His endurance, even in the midst of all the kinds of difficulties that you read of in 2 Corinthians 11, has seen him through to this point where he could affirm his faithfulness. If anyone might have been tempted to give up, it was Paul. With all the stuff that he faced, with the opposition, with people trying to undermine him, argue with him, uh, uh, accuse him, with being put in prison, being shipwrecked. If anyone might have been tempted to give up, it was Paul and yet he endured, he carried on, he pressed on through. That encounter on the road to Damascus had been life-changing. He had met the Lord and nothing could dissuade him from following Jesus. And not only that, to his dying day, he wanted to tell everything about the good things that had come to him, to us, through the life, death, and resurrection of the Lord. Paul kept the faith to the end and died a martyr's death. As a Roman citizen, he was spared crucifixion and was instead beheaded. Nevertheless, he he endured even in the face of his own suffering and that, that of those around him. Because he knew that Jesus had changed his life and that nothing could unchange it. We too can endure all things when we know that touch from the king that changes our lives. And if you've not had that encounter with him, I'd encourage you, speak to somebody, get some prayer. Seek him until you find him. Allow his Holy Spirit to reveal more of Jesus to you. Keep your eyes on him. This brings us to the last metaphors where Paul mixes two together. He affirms that he's going to receive a crown, the type that was given to her, the winner of a race. In the Roman world, when somebody ran a race, they got a crown. It wasn't a crown like a golden crown. It was a crown of leaves put together. But it was a crown nonetheless. And Paul says, I'm looking forward to receiving the crown for having successfully won and endured. But he's going to receive it he says from the judge the one who has justified him or declared him to be righteous so you've got the the, the, the idea of winning the prize but getting it from the judge in the law court and so Paul is mixing those two pictures up together perhaps he's thinking contrasting God with Caesar he cast God as the righteous judge compared with Caesar the one who will reward fairly and will judge justly You see, there is a reward for those who are faithful. Each one here can look forward to a reward for faithful service. God is storing up a reward for you in heaven. Scripture is consistent about this all the way through. That's what the parable of the talents is about. And there are many other references I could give. There is a reward being stored up for you based on your faithful service. We don't earn our salvation from our service, but we do earn a reward. And God is storing up a reward for each one of us. And Paul is looking forward to receiving that. What you do in your life in terms of service is storing up for you a reward from God on the other side of glory. Romans 14.10 tells us, We will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Each one of us will stand before that judgment seat. And this isn't about our eternal salvation because judgment for that has already been given. That's what justification is all about. You are justified freely by his grace. But it is, we will be judged according to our service for him. And that will result in a reward or otherwise. That's an appointment we all must keep. One day we will stand before the Lord. And I'm not going to draw back from that because that's very clearly what Scripture says. We will all stand before the Lord and we will receive a reward or we will receive otherwise. We will not receive a reward. And that's all about how faithful we've been, how much we've committed, how we've allowed ourselves to be poured out as a drink offering. As Paul says... And in this passage, Paul affirms that he knows his service has been good and can therefore also affirm that he has a crown awaiting for him. Can we do the same? Is our service for the Lord good? Are we confident of a reward on the other side of glory? I don't want to bring condemnation because we can all say, yeah, it's been okay, but it could be better. But it's about refocusing and saying, God, in this year, I want my service for you to be good. I want this to be a good year where I've committed myself to your purposes, where I've fulfilled all that you have for me, and where I have seen fruitfulness as a result of faithful service. This is a time to refocus our lives back onto Jesus. And if our lives are not being lived in service of him, what are they being lived for? Nothing else in life has any real meaning. Paul sums all of this up by reminding us that we are longing for his appearing. And that's when rewards will be given. Listen, folks, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back soon. And it's sooner now than when we first believed. The troubles in the world indicate that we're approaching those times. Are you longing for his coming? Are you looking forward to that time with hope and expectation of a reward for faithful service? Let this be a year in which Jesus becomes the focus of everything we do and say. Let him and his coming shape all that we seek to achieve. This year, run the race faithfully, diligently, with perseverance, knowing that God is with you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the example that Paul is and Paul gave and for the words he left which can encourage us and challenge us and, Lord, help shape us. And I pray, Lord God, that indeed we might take seriously that encouragement to put service of you and worship of you first in our lives. Let Jesus be our focus and let all else fall aside as we approach this new year. Amen.